Thank you so much, uh, Brother John. What a great day to worship the Lord. I'm glad that you're here and join us today as we're uh, streaming and uh, online. And uh, next Sunday is going to be a great Sunday. And, and those who are a part of our online service, and that's among all of us right now, uh, next weekend, some of you may attend one of the services that we're going to offer on the weekend. That's great. And uh, then some of us will continue to be streaming online, and that's great too. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper next week. So just an alert, I encourage you to make sure and get some juice and cracker or bread at home because we'll have the Lord's Supper together next Sunday, and it's going to be a great joy. So make preparation for at home if you're staying at home, and uh, it's going to be a uh, it's just going to be a great worship service on next Sunday. And of course, that will be at 930 next week on Father's Day. Great. Today, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. And I know that God's got a word for all of us. And today, I want us to look, if we will, to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to begin with verse number 17. Now, as we look at this text together, I want us to think about evaluating your spiritual health. And we're going to consider five diagnostic questions. When I go to the doctor, often they, uh, I make an appointment and they want to ask me certain diagnostic questions. One of the things that I just don't particularly like is when I go to the doctor, the first thing they make me do is step on a scale. I don't know. I don't really like that. But anyway, and so I'm always afraid it's going to say tilt or one at a time. But anyway, it's, it's a scale. And so then they, uh, they want to take my blood pressure and then they want to take my temperature. And then the doctors, why are you here? What's happening? What's going on? Recently, I sprained my knee. And so I had to go see the doctor. And they asked me all kinds of questions about the location of pain, what happened, what I felt, and where, where, how it happened. And so he was asking me questions so we might come up with a diagnosis of my, what might be the problem. Well, you know, we need to consider questions about our own spiritual life so that we might be able to examine our own self and see about our own maturity and walk with Christ. Now, if you look with me, Paul's writing from Rome in a prison to a church that he dearly loves in Philippi, and he had helped to plant it, used by the Holy Spirit. And in verse number 17, he says, Brethren, my dear brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he is even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. Father in heaven, I ask that you speak to our heart today. Convict us 
of sin, comfort us in our sorrows, strengthen us to live godly lives, and Father, help us to be honest about our own walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in verse number 17, brothers, join in following my example. And then he says, observe. The word observe means to keep an eye on, to watch closely. And so the first question I want us to consider today is who are you watching? Paul says, I want you to follow my example. I want you to observe others who walk like we walked. And so who are you watching in your life? Who's the hero in your life? Who's the person's example that you're following? He says, follow me. He, the word that he's used here, he says, my example. It is, it is the word for, uh, that we get the word mimic. And he says, mimic me, follow me, live like me. So how did Paul live his life? Paul, the church at Philippi knew how Paul lived his life. They were watching how Paul lived his life from a distance in Rome, but they saw how Paul lived his life when he was among them. As a matter of fact, if you want to know how Paul lived his life, he says you could observe my attitude when I was among you. If you want to know Paul's attitude, he tried to have the attitude that was Christ. In chapter number 2, look with me, in verse number 3, this is the attitude we should have. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. So he says, look at my attitude. Look at my mind. Look at how I was among you. Notice in verse number 14 of chapter 2, he says, do all things with grum without grumbling or disputing. He says, you know how I lived among you. Not self-serving, not self-pleasing, not in quarrel or conflict over my uh, preferences or desires. No, I served you. Is that your attitude? He said, have that attitude in, in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. And he says, that's the attitude I demonstrated before you. And follow my example. Mimic me in your relationship. Also, how he observed not only his attitude, but Paul's actions. Notice in chapter number 2, verse number 15. He says that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. He says, you know my actions as I lived among you. I proved to be blameless. I didn't bring reproach against the name of Christ or the message of the gospel, the cause of Christ. And he said, I let my light shine in a world of darkness. And he said, you let your light shine. Don't impeach the message by a life that doesn't please him. In one of the former churches where I served, in, it's in a coal mining town. And there was a man who was a part of the church. It was a deacon. It's well known in the whole town, whole community. One day, a fellow coal miner said to me, he said, you know, old Jim, he goes to your church, doesn't he? I said, yes. I heard he's a deacon. Yes. He said, you ought to hear him cuss 
when he goes up and down the elevator shaft to, with the miners and the dirty jokes that he tells. And he said, if that's what it means, I don't want to be that. My friends, be careful about your speech and your behavior and your actions. Let it be in alignment with the very message that you preach. Amen? Amen. Observe not only my actions, he said, observe my priorities. In verse number 16, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Holding fast the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. He said, I'm living my life under high priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. And I'm living my life with purpose and with intention to bring honor and glory to God. I am not running an empty race. I am not living an empty life. I have purpose and direction and priority in my life. Forgetting what lies behind chapter 3, verse 13, I press forward to what is ahead to be all that Christ has called me to be. It was the priority of Paul's life. He said, follow my example. Observe my faith and my sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 17, look at how Paul lived his life. And even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Listen, he said, I know that my life even is being poured out and if it is, it's on the, he says, it's on the altar. And he says, before Almighty God, I'm pouring out my life like a sacrificial drink offering. And even if I lose my life, even if I die in a Roman cell, even if my life is spent, I'm spending my life in faith to Almighty God who's got a hold of me, who'll never let go of me. And even though they kill me, I'm going to live for Christ because my life is being poured out like an act of worship to Almighty God. Wow. That's, that's how Paul was living his life. He said, follow me. He says, observe not only my sacrifice and faith, but observe my joy in your, in my, in your life. Have your life filled with joy. <laughs> Amen. Listen to verse number, chapter number 2, verse number 17. He says, the last part of the verse, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. The end of verse 17. Verse 18. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Hey, he says, I'm not going to live my life as a victim. Listen close. I'm not going to live my life as a victim. I'm not going to live my life as if everything bad things are happening to me. Let me tell you what God holds me in my hand in his hands. My God is sovereign. My God takes care of me. And even though I've been arrested, even though I've been beaten, even though I've been mistreated, even though I was held in prison, even though I was shipwrecked, even though I'm in a Roman prison cell, and even though I'm standing before Caesar uh, to, to determine whether or not I'm going to about my life and the future of my life. Listen, he said, my God holds me in his hand and I will rejoice and I'm going to praise his name and I'm going to be filled with joy because I trust in God who has a hold of me. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. I'm an overcomer and I have a future because of Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in yourself.
Amen. Now you say, Brother Tim, this sounds a little arrogant on Paul's part to, to say, follow me. Follow after the example that you have in me. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. No, it's not arrogant at all on Paul's part. Some have accused Paul of being conceited here. No. As a matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. He said, you follow me because I'm following Jesus. He's the pattern for my life. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me. But others made excuses. He said, follow me. I'll show you how to live. So being a Christian, it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the early apostles said to those who didn't know Christ or walk with Christ on this earth, you want to know how to live this Christian life? Follow us, because we're following him. And the Apostle Paul's saying the same thing. You want to know how to live this Christian life? Somebody with flesh and blood on it's living it out. Then follow me, because I've hitched my life to Jesus Christ. I won't be perfect, but I'm as much as possible, humanly possible, I'm committed to following Jesus Christ. Amen. Who are you following? Who are you following in your life? I think that there needs to be a culture of discipleship in our church at Bethel. As a matter of fact, we've said as a statement of vision for our church that we're going to boldly follow Christ, transforming the world one person at a time. The only way that we're going to transform the world is when we are following Jesus Christ learning of him, obeying him, and doing what he called us to do. As we are walking out faith and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives are transformed and the world will be transformed. I'm telling you folks, listen closely. This world is, there's sin in this world. In this world, there's hate in this world. In this world, there's inequality in this world. In this world, there's deep embedded sin in this world. But the thing that will change the world is not politics. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must live it out in our life so that our message and our lifestyle is in alignment together. Amen. Amen. Then he said, who else should you follow? He says, also observe those. Keep your eyes on those who are living according to this pattern, this indelible mark, this mold, this imprint that we gave you. In chapter number four, verse number nine, chapter four, verse nine, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. This is what God has called us to do. So the first question is, who are you watching? But then, who is watching you? That's the second question. Who's watching you in your life? Think about that. Who's watching you? 
First Peter chapter five, verse three says. Peter is writing to the shepherds, to the elders. He said, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then he says, proving to be examples to the flock. Live your life as an example to the flock. Hmm. Who are you and responsible to shepherd in your life? And are you living your life as an example before them? Now, Paul said, you want to know how to live the Christian life? Watch me. And I'm walking the best I can to follow Jesus. But my question to you, who are you saying to watch me? Who's watching you? People are watching you. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Your co-workers are watching you. Your fellow classmates are watching you. The people you play sports with are watching you. How are you living your life? Your neighbors are watching you. Parents, fathers, and mothers, listen close. How are you shepherding your children? I'm amazed at how little children learn to mimic things that we do. Little Charlotte is over at our house, our little granddaughter, and she's just a sweet treasure. And She's at that age, you know, not quite two, and she's just learning and mimicking every little thing and following you and learning to say words that you say and and she's just, she just saying, trying to formulate the words and say the things that, that, uh, 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 that come, come to her mind. And, and, and as she's watching us, she's always mimicking. She's really, Christy has her at the house and she's mimicking her. And she mimics her mom and she mimics her dad. She makes little expressions. You can see her parents in her. Christy's got... By her bedside, some chapstick. It looks like an egg or a little ball. And she says, ball, ball. She knows where this little chapstick ball is. And she goes in and she takes it. She wants Christy to take it apart for her. And it's got chapstick in it. And she puts it, so she, she puts it on her, she wants to do it herself. So she's got chapstick all over her face. And then when she gets done, she goes, how does she learn to do that? She's watching, mimicking. But you know what? That's from a little child. They're learning these things. They're watching you. They mimic your speech. They mimic your behavior. And as parents, can you look at your children and say, you want to know how to live this Christian life? Watch me. This is how I'm going to live it. This is how I value. This is how we relate to people. This is how we act. This is how we talk. Sadly, I heard about a little boy recently that just a little guy, four or five years old, and he cusses like a sailor. And he knows how to cuss. And he knows how to cuss and put the words in the right place. His parents think it's funny. He learned it from them. Listen, listen. Be careful. Some of you say, well... You know, do what I tell you, not how I live. But that doesn't work. If you are filled with anger and rage and temper, your children will show temper. You have hate speech in your own mouth. Hate speech is likely to be in your children. You speak evil of authority and resist Authority, your children 
will be rebellious as well. You devalue other people, they'll devalue them also. Are you watching? I had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home, not perfect home, not, but a mom and a dad that loved Jesus Christ. And you know what? My children watched me. I watched my father and mother. And I tried to walk it out at home, and my children, not perfectly, not at all, but my awful four of our children watched us. And they're still watching us, how we're living, how we're walking with Christ. Our grandchildren watch us. I still watch my dad and my mom. I'm blessed that my parents are still alive in the middle 80s. And in their middle 80s, they're walking with Christ, loving Christ. They're a man and woman of prayer. They read, they're in the word every day. They witness to others that don't know Christ. They're serving in their church. They have faithfulness. They're stewards in giving to the causes of Christ. They're modeling for me how to live in older age. Who are you modeling? Who's watching you? The third question we consider is, who, how, who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Now look with me to chapter number 3, verse number 18. He says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Wow. He said there are many that are not worshiping the Lord, but they're enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, not just a few, but many. And he says, I tell you this weeping, I'm brokenhearted because they pretend to be followers of Jesus. They pretend to be friendly toward the cross of Christ. But down deep, they're not. They're an enemy of the cross. They're an enemy of his atoning work. They're an enemy about all that Christ did for us. Anybody who tries to take the cross and add works to it is an enemy to the cross of Christ. But also anyone that says they have trusted Christ as Savior, but they're living fleshly and moral lives is an enemy of the cross of Christ. It says concerning these enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. The pathway they're on is not a pathway to life, but it's a pathway to death. It's a tragic end. This week I had the opportunity to be at a funeral. And at that funeral, there was so much brokenness and hurt. And I challenged those that were there, what pathway are you on? Is it a pathway to life or a pathway to death? Let me ask you, my friend, what path are you on? Where's the end on that road you're traveling on? Is it to life and abundance? Or is it to death and destruction? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction. Their God 
In verse number 19 is their belly, their appetite, their cravings, their lust, their desires, and their pleasure. And then it says, whose glory is in their shame. The things they glory in are shameful. Using the word shame here makes me and many scholars believe that we're talking about sexual immorality. Things that are shameful. And there's in their heart idolatry and immorality. And while they claim to be a friend of the cross and they claim to be a follower of Jesus, their life betrays a life that's after the cravings of their life and their heart. And there's an idol in their heart. And it's separated them from God. And their glory, the thing they glory in, is shameful. There are people today that want us to have pride. Pride in immorality. Pride in disobedience to God. Pride in rebellion. Pride in sexual promiscuity. My friends, we don't pride in that. It's our shame. Their glory is their shame. Listen. Timothy Keller wrote, What is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give you. They've set their minds on earthly things. They set their minds on things of this world as if they were preeminently important, whether it's money or stocks or real estate or success or power or likability or popularity or acceptance by others or sex or pleasure or recreation or sports or hobbies or even your own retirement. Don't make that an idol and worship that in your life. Amen? Let's don't live like we used to be, but let's live transformed lives before God. Now, if you just flip over a couple of pages to the book of Colossians and chapter number three, beginning with verse one, and it's a longer passage. I just want to read it. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, not on earthly things, but on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth— don't lie to each other, since you've laid aside the old self with its old evil practices 
and have put on a new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. God changing, transforming your life. The fourth question is, who are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? Verse number 20. Look at our passage of Scripture for today. Chapter number 3 and verse number 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. He said, first of all, he says, who are you waiting for? He said, our citizenship is in heaven. Aren't you glad that this world's not as good as it gets? Our citizenship is in heaven, from heaven. And from heaven, we are waiting for a Savior. We're looking forward. How do we wait? Waiting means we're looking forward. We're anticipating. We're expectant. We're hopeful, and we're being faithful. We're waiting. Now, what are we waiting for? Paul gives us this name, and I just want us to think on this name for just a minute. First of all, we're waiting for a Savior. The word there is the Greek word soter. It is it's where we get the word soteriology. It means salvation. He is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our victor. Jesus Christ is our conqueror. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. Jesus Christ is our emancipator. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Jesus Christ is our keeper. Jesus Christ is our guardian. Jesus Christ is our defender. Jesus is our protector. He is our ransomer. He is our Messiah and King. That's who he is. He's a savior. He's a deliverer. That's who he is. But the next word he uses is Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the Lord. Indeed, he is. And the word Lord, curious, it means ruler. Jesus is the captain of my life, the king of my life. He is the monarch that reigns over my life. He's the prince. He's the almighty. He's sovereign. And he is God. That's who Jesus is. His name is Jesus. The word Jesus means Jehovah saves. He is a man that was born with flesh and blood in Bethlehem, the city of David. He was a man that grew up in Nazareth. He was a man that was born to, to a virgin and reared in a carpenter's house. He, he's a man who lived on earth and people saw him and their hands touched him. He was real flesh and blood. He was a man that shared in the same nature as ours. He was a man that fulfilled the law of God. And he's a man that was filled with grace and truth. And as a man who showed us what God was really like. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus from Nazareth, a real man. But God was in that man. He was God in the flesh. Wow. And he died on a cross, not for his sins, but for our sins. And he was buried and he was laid in a tomb. 
But he rose again victorious. He did something no other man had ever done. He rose again from the grave, proving he is Lord and Christ Jesus. There's salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. There's no name like Jesus because he's all that's beautiful. And he is our hope. And we wait a Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord. Amen. Amen. And he's Messiah. He's Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. He's the ruling one. That's whom we wait for. What do you wait for? A Savior. Why do we wait? Verse number 21, because he's going to transform your body from its humble state to conformity with his glorious body. Can anybody here say, praise God, he's not done with me yet? Yes, God is at work in you. He's not done with you. He, God is at work in you both to will and to do. And he who began a good work will bring it to completion. And when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to transform your body in its humble, sinful state into the likeness of his glorious body. When he appears, John said, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is face to face. Amen. My final question today is how are you standing? How are you standing? Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy... And crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. First of all, when you think about standing, we need to stand together. You can't stand if you're standing separate. You need to stand together. Whenever you're divided, then there's no strength in your standing. A house divided against itself can't stand. A home that's divided doesn't stand. A nation that's divided doesn't stand together. And a church that's divided doesn't stand. So we need to stand together, not in division, but together. We need to stand together. We need to stand in love. Not only do we stand together, but stand in love. Stand in love and affection with one another. Now look with me. In your Bible, in chapter 4, verse 1, notice the words of affection here. Therefore, my beloved brethren. He calls them beloved. And then he calls them brethren. You're my brothers and sisters. We have the same father. You, you are the ones I long to see. I have a longing for you, an affection for you. He calls them my joy and my crown. And then he says, my beloved he says, I love you. I, I care about you. Then he encourages them, stand firm in the Lord. So you stand together, stand in love, but stand firmly. And how do you do that? Firmly in the Lord. Now, Pastor Tim, stay with me, just about done. Listen, you stand firm in the Lord when you stand on his word. Amen. This book is God's unfailing word. It's true. It will never lead you to wrong. 
It will never lead you to fail. It will always lead you to truth. God's word is truth. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate both day and night, and he shall be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Stand firm in the word of God. Secondly, stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that's been laid than that which has been laid, Paul said, and that's Jesus Christ. Put your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. And stand firm in your faith. Believe him. When you've done everything to stand, stand firm. You believe God. You trust in God. You put your faith in God. I love this story in the Old Testament. The children of Israel are coming into the promised land. Joshua is now their new leader. And they've got to cross the River Jordan. And they're going to go into a land that God had promised them an inheritance. But there are many enemies and fortified cities and obstacles. And one of the big obstacles to move this multitude into the promised land is crossing the Jordan River. The Jordan, at, it was during the spring. It was during the flood stage. And it was during a, a time of, of uh, the river was overflowing its banks in a raging flood. He said to the priest, I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to make your way to the edge of the Jordan River. And then when I want you to put your feet and step into the rushing water and watch what God will do. And in faith, those priests grabbing a hold of the Ark of God, representing the presence of God. And they put their soles of their feet. And as soon as their feet touched the water, in faith. The water receded and it was held back and they walked right out into the middle of the river Jordan on dry ground. They stood firmly and stood there holding the ark as the children of Israel passed by and God delivered them and gave them the promises of God. You know what? That's what we need to do. We need to grab a hold of the Lord Jesus and by faith say we're going to stand firm and not get our eyes on the rushing waters of this world and say, I will believe him. I will trust him and I'm going to watch how God is going to work. Amen. That's what we're to do. We are to stand firm together, carrying out what God has called us to do. Now, friends, listen, who are you watching? You got your eyes on. Get your eyes on Jesus. Be a disciple follower and be a disciple maker in your life. Who's watching you? Are you living the Christian life so that you can say to others, you want to know how to live this new life in Christ? Watch me. I'll show you. I'm living it too. I'm following Jesus with all of my heart. If not, why not? Today, repent. And say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Who are you worshiping? Has your priorities gotten off? Are you worshiping something else? Trying to make an idol out of something else? Listen, the end is destruction. You can't live for your belly. Don't be an enemy of the cross. 
Repent. Turn back to God. He's jealous for you. He wants all of you. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a Savior? He's coming again. Don't shrink back at his coming, but look forward to his coming. Live for him until he comes again. And how are you standing? Are you standing firm? Are you standing together? Are you standing in love? Are you trusting God? It all begins with turning to Jesus with all of your heart and all of your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ, that today they might come and trust Him, surrender their heart and their life to Him. Father, I pray that there's somebody here that realizes they've walked far away, that they might pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've gone the wrong way. I ask you to forgive me. I repent now, Father, and I'm coming home to you. I want to live for you. Father, maybe there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ today. And they say, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I know that I've sinned. And I want to turn from my sin and I need to be saved. God, I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Christ died for me. I believe that he was buried. I believe he rose again. And I want you to be the Lord and Master. And I ask you to change my life. I call on you now. God, please save me. Lord, you said in your word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.